John chapter 5, and we're at the last part of chapter 5, verses 39 to 47 as our focus. I'll begin reading at verse 30, though. So John 5, beginning to read at verse 30, reading to the end of the chapter, focusing on verses 39 to 47. Hear God's holy word. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that, I, that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you've believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Thus far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray for his blessing. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that Scripture continues to show us Jesus. And so, Lord, grant us your blessing now. Keep all of us focused upon your word. Bless us each with listening ears, attentive minds, receptive hearts. And bless he who brings your word, that we would hear what you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, after healing the paralytic at the pool Bethesda, we've seen Jesus on trial, whether officially a trial or unofficially. You see, Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, and more than that, Jesus claimed to be the divine Son of God, and in the mind of the Jews, that was blasphemy, because they thought Jesus is not God. And we saw Jesus' defense and indeed claimed to be equal to God the Father, united to the Father, one with the Father. And then last week we saw Jesus call different witnesses, you might say, to the stand in his defense. The first witness was John the Baptist. 
And although John was later persecuted and even beheaded, the Jews recognized John as a prophet sent from God. Thus they saw John as one who spoke with, a, with authority from God. And we all know the purpose of John. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. He came to point to Jesus. And this prophet sent from God very clearly said, Behold, referring to Jesus, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so that was the first testimony in the defense that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God, the divine Son of God. The second witness that Jesus called to the stand were the signs and miracles that he had done in his work in general. The miracles that Jesus did testify to the very fact that he is the divine Son of God. The healing of the paralytic showed his power over life. And even Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And the third witness that was called was the Father. God the Father at Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration spoke from heaven and proclaimed that Jesus is his well Beloved Son. And today we'll look at a fourth and final witness that Jesus calls to the stand. The final witness is Scripture. In fact, we might say that this is the key and chief witness because the Jews acknowledged the authority of Scripture. And the Scriptures clearly testify of Jesus. Now we know this is true in the New Testament, but remember at this point they didn't have the New Testament, and so Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And so the Old Testament scriptures, as well as the New, bear witness to Christ. They're all about Christ. And so today we'll be talking about the witness of Scripture. And two things in that regard. First of all, we'll talk about missing the message which was the case for the Jews, but is the case of others as well. And secondly, we'll talk about Christ in the Old Testament. First of all, then, missing the message. We could say that the witness of Scripture is indeed Jesus' most powerful evidence. And the reason I say that is because the religious leaders of that day and the Jews of that day, they acknowledged Scripture. They studied the Scriptures. To them, uh, the, the study of Scripture, the, the repetition of Scripture, the memorization of words and, and, and uh, numbers and, and so forth uh, is something that they did. They knew, at least in a sense, the Scriptures. Look at what Jesus says in verse 39. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Now it's important to note in the context here that the Jews were not secularists. They weren't atheists. Nor could one call them liberal. They searched and they studied the Scriptures. They didn't just read their Bibles, their Old Testament scriptures, they searched them. 
In fact, today as well, you can find Jews who are quite devout in their Old Testament scriptures who read and study uh, them. R.C. Sproul put it this way, it was as if Jesus said, you have Bible study every week. You don't just have a 15-minute daily devotional, but you search the Scriptures. You are disciplined students of the Scriptures. Because you think that in studying the Scriptures, you have eternal life. You see, they did search the Scriptures because they thought that that's how they would achieve eternal life. But here's the problem. The Scriptures certainly do teach about eternal life. The Scriptures do that in pointing to Jesus, as we're going to be looking at today. Pointing to the Savior. But the study of Scripture itself does not convert eternal life. In other words, we're not saved by our study of Scripture. Now, through our study of Scripture, Jesus is being shown... But it's not a a merit through which we study, and therefore we've studied hard enough, and therefore we obtain eternal life by our study. The Jews were students of the Word, of the Old Testament Scripture. They studied, but they missed the message of the Scriptures that they studied. The Scriptures pointed to Jesus And they didn't see it. Or more so, they missed it and suppressed it. Now let me stress, the study of Scripture is a good thing. It's commendable. You ought to be students of the Scripture. Not just casual readers of the Scripture. You ought to be students who search out, who dig into the Scriptures. And when we share the Gospel with others, we share Scripture And we summarize what Scripture teaches as we tell people to look to Jesus and rest upon Him alone. We've talked about Scripture working, or the Spirit rather, working through the Scripture to change hearts and draw men to Himself. But still, the Jews and many today miss that message. They miss Jesus Christ. Now why is it that some who read the Bible, miss the message, while others are converted. Think of the Jews here missing the message, the central core message of the Old Testament. But also think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He was reading the prophet Isaiah in his chariot, and he was coming to a knowledge, though he was confused, and God sent Philip to speak to him and tell him what it meant. So why do some who read the Scriptures come to faith, and why why don't others? Now, of course, we can talk, brothers and sisters, about the sovereignty of God here in salvation, that God draws to Himself His elect through the Spirit working in the Word. But it's also important for me to point out man's responsibility as well. Look at verse 40. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Notice those words, you refuse to come that you may have life. They refuse Christ. They reject Christ. They refuse to come to Christ. They are rebelling against the message of the Bible. Now, the Bible is clear. 
it does point to Jesus. It does point to Christ. The problem is man still refuses to believe. And I've pointed out in the past weeks that failure to believe is not because there's a lack of evidence. There are witnesses. We looked at three witnesses already. There are testimonies. Man's problem is not primarily ignorance. Man's problem is a refusal to believe. Man's problem is rebellion against the Creator. God has clearly, without ambiguity, revealed Himself. And this knowledge gets through to every person. Though they may fight and kick against it, that knowledge gets through and it cannot be extinguished. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has revealed Himself from heaven. Man suppresses that. Man rebels against God. Man refuses to come that he might have life. Man is responsible for his refusal. Now let me point, to you, or point out a few things about the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. One, the Jews viewed the mere possession of Scripture and the study of it, as I already alluded to, as giving life. One famous rabbi of old, Rabbi Hillel, you've probably heard that name before, Rabbi Hillel said this, More Torah, more life. Whoso hath gained the word of the Torah hath gained for himself life in the world to come. Right? Have the Torah, study the Torah, You've gained life. The salvation by works. The Jews were obsessed with scriptures, but not the content, not the message of the scriptures. And there are many churchgoers today, too, who have many Bibles in their homes and even on their phones. They may have Bible verses decorating the walls in their house. But the Bible is seen by so many today as well as the Jews back then, as more of a relic or a charm, right? You have this, you put it in your hands, you read it, and, and magically, right, through that process, you have eternal life. In fact, there are many today who have memorized large portions of Scripture but still don't know the message of Scripture. Can't tell you what it's about, right? There's been people who have been able to recite a whole book of the Bible by memory, and then you say, so what's that say? And then they kind of think, hmm. And they don't really know. They can't tell you what it's about. They can tell you the words that are there, but they can't tell you what it's about. Donald Gray Barnhouse used an excellent illustration of a person standing before a window in a high uh, skyscraper. And overlooking or outside of that window was a glorious scene of, a, of an ocean. And somebody says, wow, look at that window. But they don't see the view. 
beyond the window. They're looking merely at the window and not the view within. That's how many people look at Scripture, right? Wow, look at this Bible. But they miss the message. They miss the picture. They miss what it's pointing to. Reject the message and hang on to the window as a good luck charm. Brothers and sisters, we may, indeed, we must, right, study the Bible. But looking at what the Bible is saying, looking at the message, looking at the view that the Bible is giving to us. And of course, what's that view? The view is Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling us about here. He's saying the whole testimony of the Scriptures is about me. Yet man does what? He refuses to believe. Secondly, the Jews were concerned with worldly interests, not heavenly. Verse 43 says, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. See, had Jesus announced an earthly agenda, the kind that the Jews were interested in, national pride, victory over the Romans, they would have received him. Especially had he come in the name of, uh, of some, uh, you know, some worldly credentials, like from the school of Rabbi so-and-so. Jesus even said, verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And it's true of many today as well. The Pharisees didn't really love God, nor did they love their neighbor. And that, was, that, that we've seen clearly already in this very chapter, because when Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool, the Jews didn't go to him and say, wow, how did that happen? How are you after, actually walking after 38 years? Instead, they said, don't carry your mat, that's unlawful. There was no love for God, no love for neighbor, no love for the work of God, no love for the man that was there. The Jews had a worldly agenda. Third, the Jews were caught up with being honored by men. Right? They didn't want to be honored by God. They wanted the honor of men. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. They search the scriptures to be exalted by other men. How can they believe when they receive glory from one another and aren't seeking the glory, the honor that comes from God? Here's the ultimate reason for the rejection of Jesus. They cherished glory and honor from men, not from God. They wanted to be viewed highly by men. Not by God. Jesus' ministry wasn't like that. I do not receive glory from people. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. Jesus came to glorify the Father. And as believers, we ought to seek to please God and not men. As a pastor, I ought to be concerned not with the approval of men, but with the approval of God. Now, I think we also have to be careful here because sometimes I think pastors can have this mentality. Since I ought not to seek the approval of men, I don't want your approval. And sometimes, uh, sometimes they get harsh because they're not concerned, right? Well, I don't care about the approval of men. Well, we ought not to care about the approval of men. That's true. But 
We're not aiming at the disapproval of men either, right? We're aiming at the approval of God. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to get back to verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Again, notice, you're searching the scriptures, but that last phrase for emphasis now, and it's they. It's the scriptures, the very scriptures that you are studying that bear witness about me. Again, of course, the Old Testament and the New Testament bears witness of Jesus, of course, but the focus here is the Old Testament as the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And the Scriptures the Jews were searching was indeed the Old Testament. And Jesus says the Old Testament bears witness about Him. And so Christ is not merely in the Gospels and the Epistles. Christ is found directly and indirectly in the Law, in the Psalms, in the Prophets, in the promises to Adam and Abraham and Moses and David and, and more. Jesus, the Messiah, is to be found everywhere in the Old Testament. And so every sermon that a pastor preaches, no matter what passage of Scripture he's preaching, it tells, it must tell about Jesus. Because Jesus is the message of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. He's the message that the Jews missed. That they refused to see and believe. In fact, in Luke, you may remember that two unnamed disciples had witnessed the crucifixion and were departing from Jerusalem in despair. And Jesus came to them without revealing his identity and pointed out that the death and resurrection of the Messiah had been foretold in Scripture. Right? And he showed them that. Luke 24, 27 says, And, the begin and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Note that all the scriptures show us things concerning Christ. In other words, it's not just a verse or two here and there that tell us about Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message, not just of the New Testament. That's the message of the Old Testament. Old Testament, New Testament is what we would call Christocentric. It's Christ-centered. Hence, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And so pastors today must preach Christ and Christ crucified. Whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the chief message of Scripture is Jesus. Now, you may ask, well, how was Christ spoken of in the Old Testament? And perhaps it might be helpful in breaking this down into three categories. Prophecies, types, and ceremonies. These three categories show us the main ways. I'm not saying this is the only way, but these are three main ways in which we see Christ in the Old Testament. Prophecies, types, and ceremonies. Now, you know the Old Testament is filled with prophecies that find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In fact, some very, very specific prophecies. And it goes back to the very beginning. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a promise of the Savior. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heels. Right, right there, Genesis 3, verse 15, the first announcement of the gospel. The virgin birth is prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14. The town of the birth of Jesus is predicted in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. His death is clearly portrayed in the Old Testament as well as his resurrection. Zechariah 11.12 foretold that Christ would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 56 speaks of him being beaten on the face and spit upon. Psalm 22.16 speaks of Christ's hands and feet being pierced. And the fact that Jesus was given... Uh, sour wine or gall to drink was foretold in Psalm 69, verse 21. And despite the normal practice, Psalm 34, verse 20 told us no bones of his would be broken. His burial in a rich man's grave was predicted in Isaiah 53. And the Old Testament tells us Christ would die for our sins. Isaiah 53.5, part of our assurance of pardon even earlier this morning, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, there's so much more. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And the Jews refused to see it and come to him and have life. Second, the Old Testament is filled with types that point us to Christ. That is, there are persons, events, institutions that typify something about Jesus that are meant to point us ahead to Jesus. Moses was a type of Christ as our deliverer, right, from bondage. In other words, the deliverance from bondage in Israel points us ahead to Christ and the deliverance that we have in him from sin. David was a type of Christ as a a faithful king. The tabernacle and the temple typified a God as he dwells among us through Christ. The stories of the Old Testament are are not just moral fables, but they teach us about the person and the work of the Savior to come. And of course, three, the ceremonies of the Old Testament spoke powerfully about the person and work of Christ. Perhaps the most obvious are all the sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament, the daily sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, and so on. These sacrifices were never meant to take away sin, but they typified, right? They pointed to the coming of Jesus. Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But these ceremonies, right? The sacrifices pointed ahead to him who would be sacrificed to, as John would say, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so, right, even John, when he used that language, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world was picking up on Old Testament a type. And so prophecies and types and ceremonies are some of the main ways that the Old Testament points us to Christ. Jesus in our passage 
uh, does draw attention specifically even to Moses. John 5 here, 45 to 47 says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? By the way, here is one of the passages that shows us that God used Moses to write the first five books of the Bible. Jesus is referring here to the writings of Moses. And also note that there are numerous other passages of Scripture that speak of Moses giving the law. And Moses and the prophets wrote. God did use Moses to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Jews consider themselves disciples of Moses in their study of the Bible. And so Jesus says, you know what, I don't have to accuse you. Because Moses will do it. The very words you study, the very words you know, accuse you. You set your hopes on Moses, but Moses points to me. Again, R.C. Sproul put it this way. You call yourselves the disciples of Moses? You trust in the teachings of Moses. You exalt the Torah. But you don't really believe it because Moses was writing about me. Don't you understand that when he described the tabernacle, he was describing me? Don't you understand that when Moses said in Deuteronomy that there would come another prophet like him, he was referring to me? If you don't believe Moses' teaching, how are you going to believe mine? So when the question of Jesus' identity came up, four witnesses came forth. (coughs) John the Baptist, the miracles of Jesus, the audible testimony of the Father and the testimony of sacred scripture through the authorship of Moses. If that's not enough to convince people, what is? And so as I've been saying, the reason people don't believe the gospel is not because there's a lack of evidence. It's a refusal to believe. And so let me say a few things by way of application. One, I find it strange that there are some people who claim to be Christians and think that the Old Testament saints were saved by their obedience to the law, or some other way than by Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, that's nonsense. The Old Testament is all about Christ. Jesus tells us the message of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, is Christ. And so to think that the Old Testament saints were saved by some other way than by Jesus is to miss the very message of the Old Testament, just like the Jews did. Salvation has always been by Christ and Christ alone. And so are you resting in Christ as he's offered in the gospel, as he's offered in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Second. If the message of the Old Testament and the New Testament is Christ, then as I've already said, Christ must be preached regardless of the passage we're on. Now, different things about Christ might be emphasized, but we're preaching Christ. Or even, right, when we talked about the law this morning as the law was read. What was that about? How's that about Christ? Well, it points us to Christ. But not only does it point us to Christ, right? Christ says to us, This is my words. These are my commandments. This is how you show love for me as those who have been redeemed. And three, 
since the Bible is all about Christ, you, people of God, don't just read the Bible. Study the Bible. Be students of the Bible, of the message that's there within. Don't just look at the window. Look at the picture of Christ within. Study your, your word. Study the, you know, your Bible. Study the, the word of God. Come to the scriptures, we might say, like miners who want to dig deep and understand the greatness of who Christ is and what he's done. Brothers and sisters, be men and women and children of the word because the word keeps showing us Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your word you do show us Jesus. Lord, open our eyes, open our minds, continue to show us Jesus, that we might see that message, understand that message, love that message, share that message, take comfort in that message, live thankfully because of that message. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the work of Jesus in our place, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.